following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So we're going to return in our study of the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're going to look at chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. And uh, if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 866. So if you would, please turn with me. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. Now, last week, if you were with us, we skipped over these verses um, uh, and looked at verses on either side of this section to examine the question, who is Jesus, uh, which was asked and answered in the sections uh, on either side. And this passage that we're going to look at today describes the only miracle performed by Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. Um, and you can look those up in your spare time if you'd like, in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. Um, and we're not going to borrow any details from the other gospel accounts. Um, we're just going to focus on what the Holy Spirit provides us through the pen of Dr. Luke. So uh, to kind of set the stage here, we have to remember the disciples had been sent out by Jesus uh, into the villages of Galilee to uh, to teach and to heal and to cast out demons. And now they had gathered again with Jesus. Uh, and also uh, something that's worth noting is about this time, um, Jesus and the disciples learned about the death of John the Baptist. So this was all kind of happening um, at the same time. So let's look at Luke 9, starting at verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. And he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go out and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this event We are grateful for your word that you have recorded it for us, you have preserved for us. We thank you, Lord, that these are your words. And so we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would interpret this word to us, that we would see the clear meaning and find the appropriate application for our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Luke, his account of this event is 
is much more of a summary uh, than some of the other gospel accounts. He doesn't include, excuse me, he doesn't include all of the same details, but there are certainly some things worth n- noting. One thing that sticks out to me uh, first is in verse 10. This is the first time the disciples are referred to as the apostles. Um, and I think that's important considering all uh, what else is is going on at the time. Um, I have a tendency to refer to them as the disciples until um, after Jesus' ascension. Um, but Luke refers to them as apostles. Um, so a disciple is a learner, right? A student, um, an apprentice. And so the twelve... That's what they were at this point. They were learning. They were growing. um, And they would continue this process until they were given the Great Commission uh, to go and make disciples as recorded in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Now, an apostle is something different. An apostle is not a student or a a learner. Um, An apostle is one who is sent out, one who is sent as an emissary, um, or a missionary, right? Jesus sent out the disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal and to cast out demons. And the fact that he sent them out is what qualified them to be called apostles, right? They hadn't been sent out before that, so they're just disciples. And that's why Luke calls them apostles, because they had been sent out. But then he stops calling them that, because that job was done for the time. Luke goes back to calling them disciples until we get to his second book. Uh, It's not Luke 2, but the book of Acts, Um, also known as the Acts of the Apostles, right? So Luke wrote that book, and I can't wait to jump into that. And we've only got 14 or 15 years left in the Gospel of Luke (laughs) before we get there. Now, it's very tempting for me to drill down on this statement by Luke that the apostles, um, uh, the apostles told Jesus all they had done, as as if it wasn't um, the power and authority that Jesus had given them to do the work. Like they, um, perhaps wiser disciples would have. Re- reported to Jesus all that he had accomplished through them, right? And we can kind of look backwards on this and paint a rosy picture like that's clearly what we would have said. You know, I never would have claimed to have done anything, um, certainly not to Jesus. I had a friend um, ask me this week, you know, if you, if you could sit down and have coffee with Jesus, what's a question that you would ask him? I'm like, I, I don't think I'd say anything. I, I don't know that I could come up uh, like I. Good morning. I, I I don't know. I mean, it just it blows my mind to even think about that. And and yet in our in our study and looking at the disciples like a bunch of knuckleheads, that we totally would have gotten all this right, uh, where everything they get wrong. But that's why I'm not preaching that sermon. They're not. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm. I don't care. Uh, that perhaps wiser disciples would have said it differently, framed it differently to Jesus. Um, 
because I don't, I don't really think that's the point here. Um, but maybe it is, and that's a study for a different day, I guess. I, I think that it's possible, as we look at this account, that the feeding of the 5,000 was meant to be a lesson in humility for the apostles, and possibly a rather harsh lesson. Right, they come back to Jesus, they report all that they had done, and then they're faced with this huge crowd of hungry people late in the day that needed to, to eat, and Jesus very clearly told them in verse 13, you give them something to eat. It's almost like you saying, hey, you guys accomplished all this other stuff. You've got all this talent, right, and ability and power to heal and cast out demons. Surely making sandwiches for these people is no big deal. Go ahead. I don't know. That, that sounds like Jesus is, would be kind of a jerk. That's, and I don't like that. I don't think that's true at all. Um, maybe Jesus was reminding them of their true powerlessness and his almightiness again, which just seems to be a recurring theme. The more I read the Gospel of Luke, and I don't know if, if you're seeing that too, or maybe it's just a reminder to me of my powerlessness and his almightiness. Since Jesus is a gentle shepherd and he had compassion on this crowd of weary, hungry, shepherdless sheep, I'm sure that the lesson that he had for the disciples was a much more gentle one than that harsh, you think you're so smart, you rig up the lights. No, not. (laughs) Thank you for that courtesy laugh. Anyway, let's look at the reality of this situation, right? The disciples, the apostles had just returned from their successful missions trip, right? And they're, they're beat, they're tired, they're weary. They just around this time learned of the death of their friend, John the Baptist. This was a notable figure um, in this little community of faith that was growing, right? This was an emotional blow to the disciples, and to Jesus. And Jesus suggests to them that they retreat for a while. We're going to go out to the outskirts of Bethsaida and just chill for a minute. Just, just get some rest out in the woods. Like, that's where rest, friends, that's where rest happens. Go to the woods. Yeah. Not my neighborhood, but like the real woods. So the crowd's also heard where Jesus, uh, where he was, where they were headed. Um, and of course, as happens over and over in the Gospels, the, the crowd followed. They went to see him, to hear him, and to be healed of their various diseases. And the Gospels all record, all four of them, um, record that the crowd that gathered was about 5,000 men. Now, this is a, a round figure, about 5,000, you know, um, and it, it also didn't, that number didn't include women and children. It just wasn't, um, that wasn't the typical way that people were counted. Um, think what you want about that, doesn't matter. That's, this was written a really long time ago. Um, so this, this crowd could very well have been well over 10,000 people. Um, hungry and out in the wilderness with nothing to eat late in the afternoon. Right. 
So while the disciples were content to send the crowds away to get some food and find a place to spend the night, Jesus says, no, you feed them. And what's their response? We got nothing. What? What? We have nothing to offer. We have we have five loaves and two fish. All right, these aren't loaves of Wonder Bread either. You know, these are more like dinner rolls or or crackers. This is a kid's lunch. I, I don't want to borrow from the other gospel accounts, but they stole this from a kid, right? Or maybe faithfully offered it. That little, little saint we want to think he is. You know, hey kid, give me that basket. All right? They have nothing to offer. Five loaves and two fish. Nothing compared to feeding 10,000 plus people. And this is where the first of two miracles takes place. We want to think there's only one, but there's at least two. Look at verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Now, I think just, first of all, yeah, go ahead and tell Jesus what to do. See how that goes, right? Easy for us to stand here. How many of our prayers sound like that? Jesus, just fix this thing that I screwed up. Make this thing better. Do for me. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go out and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. So what's the first miracle? It's not that anybody got fed. It's not that they had something to offer or they, they took what little they had and offered it to Jesus and trusted him with the rest. Right, the, the disciples trusted Jesus. That's the miracle. Anytime anybody ever trusts Jesus, that is a miracle. Why is that? Because we're not naturally prone to do that. Right? We just talked in the catechism. All we want to do is sin. All we want to do is do for ourselves. It's just selfishness. Jesus said, ask these people to sit down. Like, why? We don't have anything to give them. They need to go get something to eat. This crowd is going to get hangry. And who do you think they're going to come after, right? They trust Jesus and to obey. Total miracle. Which also means anytime you trust Jesus or I trust Jesus, equally a miracle. It's a work of God, right? So you can praise God for that. You know, when we list, when we list our praises, it's usually... Something that we think is good happened. God did something that we asked him to do. And we praise him for that. And well, we should. We also need to praise him for when he does things we don't want. All right? We've talked about that. Every challenge is an opportunity for us to trust Jesus, to do his good will, regardless of how we feel about it. All right? Whether, whether, whatever that looks like for you. Right? late fees on your dog registration or losing your house or your job, whatever. God is always, always, always at work. And he will use the things that we find the most unpleasant to do the most amazing things. 
just get out of the way. Let him work. So the first miracle is that the disciples trusted Jesus and they asked the crowd to sit down. Alistair Begg said, when Jesus says, give them something to eat and we have nothing to give them, then we are ready for God's dramatic intervention. What if they said, well, we know it's not much, but we have this buffet over here. We have a, we have a little bit to offer. They said, we have nothing. And that's the reality. Sometimes we like to fill in. Like, I'm going to give just so much and then trust God with the rest. They had nothing. And when we come to grips with the fact that we have nothing to offer God, then we are ready for his dramatic intervention. The disciples recognized they had nothing to offer the people. Five loaves and two fish weren't even enough for the twelve and Jesus to have a bite to eat. You know, don't forget about that. This is one kid's lunch. There are, that's 13 grown men with five rich crackers right, and a can of tuna fish. Not enough. Jesus said, you feed them. And they said, we have nothing to give. And Jesus says, you're right, but I'll handle it. Just have them sit down. This is not so very different from our everyday experience. This is not so different from Jesus' call to each one of us to be ministers of the gospel. He says, serve the people. And we say, with what? I got nothing. I have nothing to offer. And he says, you're right. But I do. Just have him sit down. Just set the tables. I'll take care of the rest. Every time we fool ourselves into thinking that we have something to offer. I mean, how many times have you heard about in the church your list of spiritual gifts? What are, my, what are, what are your spiritual gifts? What are my spiritual gifts? You know? I think we get confused because we think about credits to our own account. Yes, we have abilities. Yes, we have talents, and God will use them. Are they of great account? Probably not, like in the cosmic scope. I bet you're really looking forward to the emotional attaboy this morning, right? It doesn't really feel like it at the moment. We have nothing. Um, suck it up. <laughs> what are we called to do? What does Jesus call the disciples to do? Give what you do have and be faithful with our little bit and trust him to use it according to his will. And sometimes the stuff that we have or the abilities, the talents that we have or the knowledge, the experience that we have doesn't feel much more like a handful of crackers in the face of 10,000 people. And that's a good thing. It's exactly how it should feel. Because when it doesn't feel like that, now you get to take credit for all the great things that you did. And you get to come back from your missions trip and tell Jesus all that you accomplished. All the people that you healed and all the gospel that you preached. How does he get credit for what you did? Because you were using all that you had. We need to recognize that we have nothing. We come to him empty. And he is the one that fills us. And he is the one that uses us. 
Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12:19. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Was it Paul that was strong? No. Was it the apostles that were strong? No. It's Jesus that's strong. That's important for us to remember. Again, Alistair Begg said, if you and I are prepared to acknowledge before God that the responsibility entrusted to us to serve others immediately shows us our inadequacy and emptiness, then if we will offer our open hands to him, he will place within our custody that which he has provided and allow us, surprisingly, wonderfully, the privilege of extending that to others. What do we have? Empty hands. That's important. That's important for us to get. We come with nothing, and when we willingly open our hands to God to be used of him, he's the one that fills them. He's the one that gives us the grace to offer that to other people. The willingness The miracle of the willingness of the disciples to trust Jesus makes room for the second miracle. Verse 14, And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. Again, another miracle. You moved a group of a lot of people to like, Oh, sure we will. And down they go, right? So maybe two and a half miracles, right? They did so, and they had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Out of the little, Jesus made much. He blessed what was of little account and had plenty to spare. Are we as a church family or even as individual disciples content to say, well, that was just for them. That was just for them then. Got nothing to do with me. Is it not possible that the Lord may well do the same thing again with us? Is it not a great blessing to be of little account so that the power of Christ may be made manifest in us? We get to boast in our weakness because God shows himself strong. We get to offer the little that we have and watch him use it. But when we keep it in our pockets, God won't fill our hands and give us the grace to offer that blessing to others. (laughs) the very fact that we are gathered here today, the very fact that you came here today to this place is evidence that the Lord will show himself strong and more than adequate to work and to do his goodwill with very little. There's a handful of us that remember what it was like when this building was empty. 
when we opened the door at 9.30 back then because we were liars and <laughs> said we would start on time. We opened the door and nobody came. And now look at you. This is evidence that God will take the little bit and make much. That's the story of my whole life. If you don't know that that's the story of your life, you haven't been paying attention. All we have is empty hands. And by God's grace, he's the one that fills them and gives us opportunities to serve others and to serve him. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7 says, and I'll close with this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have chosen to make much out of little. That you have used the nothing that we have to offer, nothing that the disciples had to offer, and made much out of it and blessed scores of people. We thank you that the all-surpassing power of the gospel, the power of God, lives inside of your people through faith in Jesus Christ. But we thank you that the reminder that we're just a clay pot in comparison to the power that lives within inside of us. Lord, we are so grateful for your blessing. We pray that we would all have open hands, ready to offer what you have given us to those around us. That by loving our neighbor, we could change the world. By sharing our faith in Jesus, the world will be changed. One person at a time. We thank you for that great grace. Pray that you would use it for your own glory in our good. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.